Man, I'm so glad we can start out the new year. We're worshiping together. How many of y'all are glad to be in the house of the Lord today? Come on. There it is. There it is. Man, I am so thrilled to be here, and I'm thrilled to be here with you and with all of you who are online. We're glad that you're a part of our service as well. And man, we just hope this will be a blessing with you. Whatever country you're in, whatever state you're in, wherever you may be, you're going to be blessed by our service today because we have a guest who's coming to bring the word of God to us. Now, Bob has been with us uh, every year for probably the last seven, six or seven years. Uh, Bob has been a mentor for me for the last 40 something years. Man, this is a man that God has used in a remarkable way in our country. Bob was the pastor of Southeast Christian Church in Louisville, Kentucky for 40 years. Uh, when he brought that uh, season of his life to an end, he started coaching pastors. And for the last many years, he's uh, coached pastors across denominational lines uh, from all over the world. And God has used him to encourage and inspire and equip uh, and man, this guy just keeps on going. He just keeps getting stronger and stronger. I love this man. I appreciate his example as a husband and as a father and as a leader in God's work. You're going to love him because of the courage, courageous way he brings the word of God to us today. Let's welcome our friend Bob Russell as he comes to preach today. Come on, y'all. A young woman made a New Year's resolution to lose weight. As an added incentive, she put a picture of a Victoria's Secret model on the refrigerator. So every time she was tempted to eat between meals, she'd see a picture of what she wanted to become and back off. And it worked. She lost 15 pounds the first two months. But the problem was her husband gained 30 pounds. <clears throat> I want to talk with you today about a New Year's resolution that has nothing to do with the physical. It has everything to do with the spiritual. I want you to make a New Year's resolution that you will seek to walk in God's will every day in 2021. Many of you who are listening to my voice today are gonna to be making life-changing decisions in the coming year. Some high school students will choose where to go to college or whether or not to go at all. Some college students will make a choice about occupation or maybe the person they're going to marry. Some businessmen may decide to close down the business and declare bankruptcy or whether to borrow money and try to keep going. Some will decide whether to enter rehab and break away from some enslaving addictions. Young couples will choose to have children. Couples with children will choose to put them in a Christian school or a public school. Some Senior adults will make decisions about investments and about retirement. Some feeble older people will make a decision about selling their home and entering into an extended care facility or moving in with their children. A lot of important decisions will be made in the coming year. And a lot of minor decisions that will have major implications. Who will you vote for this coming Tuesday? Will you take the vaccine? Will you venture back to church? If you're single, will you register with Christian Mingle? Have you ever noticed that little decisions can have unbelievable consequences? In 1961, I couldn't take my eyes off a young woman singing in a girl's trio. She was poised, she was attractive. And then after church, she was just a few feet away from me in the hallway, and I made a decision with fear and trembling to walk up and begin a conversation. And this year, we'll have celebrated 56 years of marriage. You know, <clears throat> just one, it's just one little decision 
can turn your whole life around. It's almost frightening. A friend of mine, Wayne Smith, used to say, big doors turn on little hinges. That's why the Apostle Paul in Ephesians, the fifth chapter, verse 17 said, don't be foolish. Understand what the Lord's will is. Don't wing it. Make sure you're walking every day in God's will in 1961. So with that, I would like to focus on our passage today. Proverbs, the third chapter, verses five and six. Trust in the Lord, familiar passage. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him and he shall direct your paths. Now, I think it's important for us to understand what this passage does not say. Notice what is not promised here. He does not promise that you're going to be revealed exactly where you're going. Now, ultimately we're going to heaven, but he doesn't map out in advance the path that's gonna get us there. Psalm 119, verse 105, the Bible is called a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path. The Bible is not a spotlight showing the end result all the way down to the end of the road. A lamp just shows the next step. And we're, our duty is to walk in God's will today and let him take care of the ultimate purpose. In fact, in James, the fourth chapter, verse 13, the Bible says, now listen, you who say today or tomorrow, we're going to go to this or that city, spend a year there, carry on business, make money. Why? You don't even know what will happen tomorrow. What is your life? You're a mist that appears for a little while and then vanishes away. Instead, you ought to say, if it is the Lord's will that we live, we'll do this or that. As it is, you boast and your arrogant schemes are evil. I have an older sister who's always been a very spiritual person, but in her 20s, she was a school teacher. In her 30s, she became the director of a YWCA. In her 40s, she was the registrar for one of our Bible colleges. In her 50s, she was the director of a nursing home. And she said to me, you know, Bob, for some people like you, God has one purpose. You were a preacher at one church for your whole life. But I was kind of a utility person that God plugged into various roles throughout my life. And it'd be impossible to see how God is going to use you if you expect to see all the way to the end of the road. So he does not promise that he's going to reveal exactly his total plan for your life. Something else is not promised. He doesn't promise that every detail of your life is predetermined. There's a popular theology today that suggests that God doesn't direct our paths. He dictates our path. That everything that happens, God has predetermined to happen. And people who believe that way will say, well, the Lord awakened me early this morning or the Lord delayed me on the way to work with a traffic jam or the Lord interrupted our conversation with a call from a telephone call from a market or something. God is dictating everything that happens. Well, I believe in the sovereignty of God, but we also have to balance that with the freedom of our will. The Bible says, choose you this day whom you will serve. Set your affections on the things that are above, not on the things that are earth. Don't be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. And then you'll prove what is God's will, is good, pleasing, and perfect will. Uh, we have to remember that we have freedom of the will. Let's say you take a uh, cruise in the Caribbean. The captain of the cruise ship is going to determine what islands are going to be stopped at and eventually bring you back to home. But you have a lot of freedom 
on that ship about what you eat and what time you get up and whether you lounge around the pool or whether you play shuffleboard. There is a balance between God's sovereignty and our free will. Choose you this day whom you will serve. So God doesn't dictate everything that's going to happen. We have freedom of the will. Something else that is not promised. God does not promise that his will is always easy to discern. Sometimes it's very easy. We know exactly what God wants us to do. Then other times you have to work at discerning God's will and pray and talk with other people. The Bible talks about the mystery of God's will. And mystery takes a time a period of time to discover and discern. In Acts, the 16th chapter, beginning with verse 6, Paul and his companions traveled through the region of Phrygia and Galatia, having been kept by the Holy Spirit from preaching the word in the province of Asia. Now, how were they kept? Must have been maybe a visa that wasn't approved or something. But when they came to the border of Mysia, they tried to enter Bithynia, but the Spirit of Jesus would not allow them to. They just didn't feel right. Something prevented them. They're trying to discern the will of God. So they passed by Mysia and went down to Troas. And during the night, Paul had a vision of a man of Macedonia standing and begging him, come over to Macedonia and help us. So he says, after Paul had seen the vision, we got ready at once to leave for Macedonia, concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. You see, it wasn't easy for Paul at this time to discern the will of God. And some doors were shut. And that reveals to us it sometimes takes time, sometimes takes effort to determine just exactly what God wants you to do. Neither are we promised that once we walk in God's will, everything will go smoothly. We aren't promised there won't be any bumps in the road. He promises to direct our paths, but the paths aren't always easy. The uh, New International Version translates this, he will make your path straight. But even the straight and narrow path can be uphill or can have potholes. In Acts 17, after Paul goes to Macedonia, it doesn't go smoothly at first. There's a demon-possessed girl who interrupts his sermons. And then he and his companion Silas get thrown in prison and put in shackles in the inner dungeon. And they must have wondered, God, we did your will. We came to Macedonia. Why are we having these problems? But at midnight, there was an earthquake and everybody was released. And the jailer and his family were converted. And a great revival broke out in Philippi. Just because you walk in God's will doesn't mean you're not going to get the coronavirus. Doesn't mean there won't be financial setbacks or rebellious teenagers in your home or car trouble. Jesus said, in the world you're going to have trouble, but be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. Something else that's not promised here. We're not promised every step will be confirmed dramatically. When we pray for God's will to be done, we instinctively think there's going to be some dramatic sign some unusual coincidence that will make God's will very clear. And if we're not careful, we wind up interpreting every little thing as God speaking to us when we're not promised that. Charles Swindoll told of a woman who wanted to go on a trip with her church to the Holy Land. She always wanted to go to the Holy Land, but she was terrified of flying. And she's also afraid of terrorism. So she prayed and prayed, God, if it's your will, reveal it to me if I'm supposed to go. And one morning she looked up, woke up and looked at the alarm clock and it said 747. She said, 747, that's the kind of plane we're supposed to take to Israel. That's my sign. I'm supposed to go on this trip. And she went and got on the plane. It was a 777. And she thought about getting off. <laughs> we shouldn't think that every little 
coincidence is God speaking to us. He can sometimes in a dramatic way, but not often. Visions are unusual. Elijah in the cave discovered that God wasn't in the mighty earthquake. He wasn't in the violent wind. He wasn't in the consuming fire. God spoke in a still, small voice. And we've got to be sensitive to that voice. I bought a new car about a year ago, and it has a feature that I didn't know that it had, but I discovered it. it will, if I get out of my lane, it'll nudge me back into the lane. You know what I'm talking about? And uh, I, it, it almost will drive itself, just a little nudge. And I think that's the way God often leads us. Just a little nudge into conscience, just a little urge from the inner spirit, the Holy Spirit within, to keep us on the right path. Now, what is promised in this passage? We are promised, if we trust God, He will direct our path. Sometimes it's a little nudge. I think many times God is directing our path and we're not even aware of it. J. Wallace Hamilton told of a traffic policeman at a busy intersection in New York City who saw a mother cat with a little baby kitten in her mouth. And she was trying to cross the street, but every time she'd get out on the street, the horn would blow and she'd dart back to the, the curb. But the traffic policeman had a love for animals, and he put up his hands in both directions and stopped traffic, and the cat darted across the street down an alley. He said, now that cat had no idea that the power of the New York City Police Department went up to get her safely across. And I wonder how many times in our lives we're not even aware that the mighty hand of God goes up to protect us from evil or to guide us where he wants us to go. And we just have to say with David, yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for thou art with me. I know that all things work together for good to those who love God. So he promises that he will direct our paths. But I want you to notice two prerequisites to God's leading. First, one of the qualifiers is there has to be a wholehearted allegiance to God. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. And then he says, in all your ways acknowledge him. You can't be half-hearted and expect to God to guide you. Don't think you can flagrantly live in disobedience and God will guide you. We can't get high on Saturday night and then come into church on Sunday morning and ask God to direct us in a decision. We can't embezzle money from petty cash and then ask God to direct us in choosing the right lottery ticket. James 1.8 says, a double-minded man is unstable in all that he does. God won't guide you if you're a double-minded person. He will discipline you. He will bring you under subjection to bring you back to his path. Look at Psalm 32, uh, verses 8, 9, and 10. God says, I will instruct you and teach you in the way you should go. I will counsel you with my loving eye on you. So don't be like the horse or the mule, which have no understanding, but must be controlled by bit and bridle, or they will not come to you. Many are the woes of the wicked, but the Lord's unfailing love surrounds the one who trusts in him. Do you ever watch a trainer break a two-year-old horse? That horse might buck and kick and snort and even bleed at the mouth from the bit and the bridle, but it's just a matter of time before the horse is exhausted and it submits to the trainer. And when we deliberately go off track and we're double-minded, God will 
as a loving father disciplines a child, God will discipline us. And it hurts sometimes, and we suffer, but he brings us to the point we come to our knees and say, your will be done. The second qualifier is that there must be a humble dependence on God's word. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not to your own understanding. So many times that's exactly what we do when we have a decision to make. We gravitate, lean on our own understanding. And for example, if we're choosing where to go to college, we calculate, well, what's the best academic school? What's got the most attractive campus? What's the best price? When we ought not to first lean on our own understanding, we ought to say, God, you know the future. You know what's taught in the classrooms there. You know how this is going to impact me. Show me your way. Or if we got a choice about relocation and a new job, we think, well, where would we live? How much more money will I be making? What would my title be? How, how far away is it from my home? Lean not to your own understanding first. Seek God's will and say, Lord, you know that this is going to impact my family. Show me spiritually what is your will. Many today lean on their own understanding and even more today lean on their own emotions. My wife during this coronavirus break has me watching Hallmark movies. <laughs> Any of you watch those Hallmark movies? All Hallmark, Hallmark movies have the same plot. The, the chemistry flows, but they're barrier. Then in the end, they, at the last minute they break and they, they kiss at the end and everybody lives happily ever after. One, a friend of mine says he watches Hallmark movies with his wife, and at the end he always says, wow, I never saw that coming. <laughs> but you'll get advice in a Hallmark movie almost every time, and here it is. Honey, follow your heart. Follow your heart. And we got all kind of sig- uh, slogans about if it feels good, do it. If the chemistry's right, go for it. It can't be wrong because it feels so right. Uh, Justin Timberlake saying, you can't stop the feeling. Just follow your heart. But you know what the Bible says? The Bible says in Jeremiah 17, 9, the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? At your core, you inherit a carnal nature from Adam. And you can follow your feelings and be led astray. Proverbs 14, 12 says, there is a way that seems right unto man. The end thereof are the ways of death. You can't just always follow your feelings. Years ago, we had a woman present a concert in our church, and she was a very good singer, and she was also very attractive and very winsome. And between songs, she said, you know, I've never married. God just hasn't revealed the right man to me as yet. I'm seeking his will. After the concert, she was signing CDs in her bookstore, and a young man from our church came up to her and said, while you were singing, God spoke to me, (laughs) and he revealed to me, I'm your man. (laughs) Without batting an eye or looking up, she said, well, that's nice to know. When he reveals it to me, I'll get in touch with you. (laughs) Now, this is not to say that God doesn't sometimes speak to us through emotions. It is to say that many times we have a hard time distinguishing between the will of God and our own desires, the voice of God and our own emotions. John Wesley wrote in the 19th century, do not hastily ascribe things to God. Do not easily suppose that dreams, voices, impressions, visions, or revelations be from God. They may be from him. 
They may be nature. They may be from the devil. Therefore, believe not every spirit, but try the spirits to see if they are from God. You see, the believer seeking God's will with his whole heart does not lean on his own understanding, but leans on God's word. We're not rationally driven, and we're not emotionally driven. We're to be scripturally driven. Years ago, I learned to fly an airplane. When I got adequate in flying the plane, my instructor said to me, now, Bob, you need to learn to fly in case you get in bad weather. You're not going to be instrument rated, but you can get to the place you get caught in a storm, and you can't see the ground, you can't see the horizon, and in these little planes, you get tossed around, and you can lose your equilibrium. And if you just rely on your instincts, it's not uncommon for a pilot, a novice pilot, to think he's flying level and fly straight into the ground. So if you get in a storm and you can't see the horizon, you trust the attitude indicator on the instrument panel. And to prove his point, we went out to the practice area. We were 5,000 feet up in this little plane. He put a visor over my head so I couldn't see the horizon. And he took over the controls and he banked hard right and he banked left and he did a stall. And I lost my equilibrium, almost lost my lunch too about the same time. And then he said, okay, fly the plane. Now, instinctively, I felt like we were banking to the right and flying level. But the instrument panel, the attitude indicator, said we were flying level and climbing. And I forced myself to go counter to my instincts and fly according to the instrument panel, and eventually my equilibrium returned. Now, here's my point. We are so jostled around by the storms of this world right now that we've lost our spiritual equilibrium. And we don't know whether cohabitation is right and wrong or homosexuality is right and wrong or socialism is right or wrong. And it's so important to understand God has given us an instrument panel that never changes. And if we force ourselves to go go with God's word instead of our own instincts or feelings, Eventually, our spiritual equilibrium returns. Psalm 119, verse 89 says, Your word, O Lord, is eternal. It stands firm in the heavens. Now, let's say you're seeking God's will. And you can't discern what it should be. I'm going to suggest to you, here are five questions you can ask before making difficult decisions. Number one, does my preference agree with Scripture or does it contradict it? David said, Direct my footsteps according to your word. Let no sin rule over me. Direct my footsteps according to your word. Guidance from God is always going to be in accordance with the Bible. Even though you're not happy in your present situation, you don't go counter to the book. And that gives us an infallible point of reference. When I was 22 years old, I was preaching in a little country church when I was approached by a pulpit committee of a new church plant in Louisville, Kentucky. And they painted a wonderful picture of this new church on, with an ideal location, with good leadership, leadership and, and good resources. And it was an ideal opportunity. But I said to them, it can't be God's will for me to accept that opportunity because I've only been full-time at my present church 
even though it has limited possibilities. I've only been full-time there for three months, and I promised them if they would hire me full-time, I would stay a year. And I walked away thinking, wow, I've just missed a golden opportunity for ministry. But they came back to me about four months later and said, we still haven't found a preacher. And we're looking for a younger man who would grow with us. We'd be willing to wait four or five months more if you'll come down and look us over. And 40 years later, when I look back at what happened at Southeast Christian Church, I could see that God helped to guide that decision. Now, I've not always made right decisions. But in that situation, I, I kept true to a promise. And eventually, God blessed are you praying about whether you should weasel out of a contract or whether you should twist the truth a little bit? Don't waste your time praying about that. God said, let your yes be yes and your no be no. He'll take care of the results. Don't waste your time thinking about whether it's God's will for you to marry a non-Christian or to go into business with an unbeliever because God's word already says, don't be unequally yoked together with an unbeliever. Are you debating about whether this year maybe you should consider leaving your mate because of irreconcilable differences? God's word already says, wives, respect your husbands. Husbands, love your wives. Don't divorce your mate. Are you wondering about whether you ought to accept Christ and be baptized, whether that's God's will for your life? Don't even consider it because the Bible says God wants all men to be saved and come to a knowledge of the truth. He's already revealed his will to you to come to be saved in his word. If we're directly violating scripture, we're outside God's will. Here's a second question to ask. Are the doors opening up for me or am I hammering them down? In John the 10th chapter, Jesus said, the gatekeeper opens the gate for him. And the sheep listen to his voice. He calls his own sheep by name, and he leads them out. When he has brought out all his own, he goes on ahead of them, and his sheep follow him because they know his voice. Hannah Whitehall Smith, commenting on this passage, says, he goes before to open the way, and we are to follow the way thus opened. It is never a sign of divine leading when a Christian insists on opening his own way and riding roughshod over all opposing signs. If the Lord goes before us, she wrote, he will open all doors before us and we shall not need ourselves to hammer them down. Now that doesn't mean we don't do anything. We, we need a job, we say, well, Lord, open the way. And we sit back, no, no, we send out resumes and we make phone calls and we knock on doors. But if the door doesn't open by natural means, don't force your way through. I tell young preachers, if God wants you in another church, he'll get you there. You don't have to manipulate that. You don't have to ask your friends to put in a good word for you with a pulpit committee. You don't have to go visit that church on vacation and stand around in glad hand after the service. You don't have to write a gushy letter to the chairman of the elders and slip in a little CD of your sermon so that he'll remember you. Charles Swindoll said, if the Lord is in it, it flows. If it's forced, it's of the flesh. If the Lord is in it, he'll go before us to unlock the door, and it should open with a gentle nudge. Here's a third question. Does it make good common sense, or am I spiritualizing foolishness? Isaiah 1.18 says, come now and let us reason together, says the Lord. James Dobson told of a mother of four small children 
who felt that God was leading her into evangelistic work. And so she left her four kids with a father who worked seven days a week, and she took off with a singing group traveling the country. And he said the result was disaster. The youngest child was crying himself to sleep at night, and the two older kids were doing poorly in school. And Dobson says, I suspect she had other motives for fleeing home, and Satan provided her with seemingly a noble explanation to cover her tracks. Now, occasionally, God asks people to take dramatic risks or awesome sacrifices. But hardly ever does God lead us to do something absolutely absurd, devoid of common sense. Satan said to Jesus, jump off the temple, the pinnacle of the temple, and the angels will catch you. That'll be a dramatic witness to the world. And Jesus said, no, it's not right to put the Lord your God to the test. And most of the time, it needs to pass the common sense test. Does this agree with the wisdom that God has given me from within? And here's another question. Have I taken time to pray and meditate on this, or am I rushing into things? James 1.5 says, if any of you lack wisdom, you should ask God who gives generously to all without finding fault, and it will be given to you. If you need wisdom, pray about it. You notice that Jesus, before he had important events in his life, even Jesus took time to pray. Before beginning his ministry, he spent 40 days in the wilderness fasting and praying. Before selecting his disciples, he spent the night on a mountain in prayer. Before going to the cross, three hours in Gethsemane, he was on his face praying, Father, not my will, but thine be done. You see, we are tempted to rush into things. Fearful, if we don't move immediately, we'll miss the opportunity. But God rarely asks us to move on sudden impulses or suggestions. Now, there are exceptions. Remember, the angel said to Joseph, quick, uh, leave Bethlehem because Herod has a contract on the child's life. And that night, Joseph and Mary fled Bethlehem. If you know God's will and it's revealed to you, obey immediately. If you're uncertain, be willing to wait and pray about it. I have a friend a couple of weeks ago put his house up for sale, and the very first day he had an offer $1,500 less than he was asking. And his wife said, boy, this is really a good offer. This is really close. We ought to accept it. He said, no, let's, let's wait about a day or two and let's pray about it. The second day, two people offered exactly what he had asked for the house, and they got into a bidding war, and he wound up making $5,000 more simply because he was willing to wait a little bit. Uh, G.D. Watson wrote, the devil wants us to be in a hurry and rush and not wait for anything. Whereas Jesus is always quiet, he's always calm, he always takes his time. Isaiah 40, 31 says, those that wait upon the Lord will renew their strength. Have you taken time to wait and pray? And then lastly, here's another question. What do my wise Christian friends have to say about this? Proverbs 15, 22 says, Plans fail for lack of counsel, but with many advisors, they succeed. There is tremendous value in group judgment. What do your mature Christian friends counsel you to do? Now, let me emphasize here, we're talking about wise counsel from Christian friends. You can get all kinds of wrong advice from counsel in the world. 
You can find a counselor out there who will tell you, just do what makes you happy. Just follow your heart. Go ahead and get a divorce. Go ahead and just ignore it. Go ahead and flirt with temptation. But Psalm 1-1 says, Blessed is the man who does not walk in the counsel of the ungodly. Folks, you make a big mistake when you go to the world for counsel, no matter how trained they may be. If you are seeking wise counsel, go to Christian people who you know are walking close to God. That is not an infallible source, but it can be a very helpful source of direction and confirmation. Evangelist Paul Little wrote, do others sense that this is God's leading? It is the rare situation when other people who are equally committed to the will of God have no sense in their spirit that what you suggest is of God. It is true that sometimes you get mixed counsel from friends, he adds, but we neglect the counsel of others at our own peril. Now, once you've determined what God's will is, and you've done your best to obey it, don't second-guess yourself. Walk in confidence and joy. J.L. Kraft, who built the cheese and dairy empire, was once asked how he made difficult decisions. He said, if the correct choice isn't clear to me, I pray about it, and then I sleep on it, and the next morning, my first impression, I take as God's will, and I, I obey it. And then he said, I never look back. I never second-guess myself. And that course of action has been successful consistently enough to justify recommending it to others, he said. You can drive yourself crazy by asking what if. What if I had taken that other position? What if I'd gone to another school? What if I'd married the other woman? What if you'd married that other woman, she might have shot you within a month. You don't know. <laughs> That's futile. There are so many variables you can't tell. Don't spend any portion of your life looking back over your shoulder asking what if. You trust in the Lord with all your heart. And you don't lean on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him and he will direct your path. Now as I close, I want to say a word to some of you who say, you know what, I got off the path years ago. Can God help me to recover? I have a theory about the story of Moses. Not everybody would agree with me. But I kind of think that God had Moses adopted by Pharaoh's daughter so that he would grow up in the palace and that he would become the next Pharaoh or a position of power and he could release the Israelite slaves. But when Moses was 40 years old, he got way off God's will, way off the path. He followed his own understanding. He followed his own emotions. He lost his temper and he killed an Egyptian taskmaster. And that certainly wasn't God's will for his life. He had to flee for his life. And for 40 years, God disciplined him in the, in the wilderness, humbling him as a shepherd. And then after 40 years, God appeared to him in a burning bush, said, Moses, I want you to go back and approach Pharaoh. And Moses became the liberator of his people as God intended. Now, maybe you look back and you say, I know I wandered away from God's path. Or maybe right now you feel I'm not walking in God's will. God is so gracious and forgiving and merciful and so powerful that if you submit to him, he'll bring you back and accomplish his will for your life. And the time to return is now. Psalm 25, 4 and 5 reads, Show me your ways, O Lord. 
Teach me your paths. Guide me in your truth and teach me, for you are my God and my Savior. Let's pray. Father, thank you that you have a plan for our life. Thank you that even though we may have wandered away from that plan, you can nudge us back or you can bring us back dramatically. So help us to walk in your path, to seek you with all of our heart, and may 2021 be a year of making right decisions, walking in your will, knowing that all things work together for good to those who love you. We pray in Christ's name. Amen.